0: Hello, my name is Deacon Brian. Welcome to the Shepherd of the Hills Sermons Podcast. Every week we share our Sunday morning sermons with you to keep these important conversations going. We hope you not only enjoy hearing our words of God's love for you, but will also feel compelled to share these words with everyone who needs to hear this message. As always, we encourage you to keep the conversation going at home, at work, and everywhere you go. This week, we hear the disciples ask Jesus who was the greatest, and Jesus brings to them a child. In Pastor Scott's sermon, he shares his understanding about Jesus being with the most vulnerable and outcast, while also asking the congregation for the things that stood out most to them. So sit back, relax, and let us dive into this week's sermon.
1: Our lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and he said truly I tell you unless you change and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling blocks are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You all got up and made it here
2: early in the midst of the snow, uh, so do not sit down, uh, but move someplace in this direction so that we're all kind of up in front over here. I know you're going to kill me. You're all, your evil eyes are looking at me like I, right? I know, I get it. Uh, come on over here. Since it's such a smaller crowd this morning, come on over here and let's gather together kind of in this area over here. Wow, so nice. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you. You can stay there. The riffraff can stay in the <laughs> choir loft. Come on over. Come into the middle. Come, come over this direction. Make some new friends. Huddle together for warmth. <laughs> Listen, look, at these, look at these ding-dongs over here that refuse to move. There's, there's this part of the Bible about, like, casting out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what'll happen. All right, now you can sit down. You, you, you've got a baby back there. That's fine. I'll let you off the hook this time. All right, let's do this. <clears throat> uh, we are reading a different text this morning. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, but this morning we're going to take a look at Matthew because uh, I had to write a little uh, something for class on Matthew, so that's why we're doing double duty this morning. Um, and so I've spent probably a little too much time with this particular passage. So since we're kind of a smaller crowd this morning, I think we can get some interaction. So I'm going to make you do the work a little bit this morning, because I already had to turn my paper in, and I don't know what my grade is. So. But what, one of the things that we've been doing in class that I think is so interesting, we've got, um, we read an article that was an experiment by a professor in seminary. And he took a bunch of people who were congregational goers, so they were regular church folks, and he gave them a story, and it was actually a story not unlike this, it was one of Jesus' parable stories. Uh, And he gave it to a a bunch of church-going folks to read, and then he gave it to a bunch of pastors, and he had them read it. And then he asked each group a bunch of questions. And what was so interesting (laughs) was, what people noticed was very, very different. And uh, what was really interesting is, and this is so humiliating, the pastors all saw themselves in the story as being Jesus, and all of the congregants saw themselves as Jesus' disciples. Now, isn't that interesting? And he did it three different times with three different groups of people, and every time that kept happening. And the questions that the people uh, who were regular church-going folks asked were very different than the questions that the pastors asked and then when they asked the pastors for answers they were always these sort of theological treatises that they got and the people in the pews had much simpler and actually i might argue much more interesting responses to the story uh, so there is some occupational hazard in being a pastor because we read the stories differently so here's what i'd like to do and i love to do this this is what we do on wednesday morning for bible study so we're going to do this this morning i'm going to read the story again and i'm going to ask you to pay attention uh, to a number of different things pay attention to the interactions in the story who is talking to who and what they're saying Uh, pay attention to if there is any action in the story Uh, pay attention to what you perceive god is doing in the passage And then, uh, what are the things that just sort of grab you and catch you off guard? Or you're like, I don't even know what that means. What are we talking about? And um, we'll start with the things that catch your attention, okay? Um, And we will start with the things that sort of grabbed you. um, And we'll see what we come up with together, okay? Uh, So I'm going to read it again. And you can either follow along or you can listen. Um, the stories I like to tell the Wednesday Bible study, these stories were meant to be heard, actually probably not read, uh, because when they were first read or when they first were used, they were oral stories. Uh, Most people weren't reading them, okay? So you can choose to follow along or not, but I'm just going to read it again. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, "'Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?' He called a child whom he put among them, and he said, "'Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, "'you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. "'Whoever becomes humble like this child "'is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. "'Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. "'If any of you were to put a stumbling block "'before one of these little ones who believe in me, "'it would be better for you if a great millstone "'were fastened around your neck "'and you were drowned into the depth of the sea.'" Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire." The Gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come, send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, what grabbed you? What caught your attention? What was your first reaction to the story? Anything. Bruce. I don't. I don't have any appendages left. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, what do you mean by that? A severe price. A severe price. Well, is it for what is it for? Is it for stumbling or is it for causing getting in the way of kids? Getting in the way of kids. So, what do you make about that, or how do you hear that, or what does that then mean? take it seriously so you're so in that case what you're saying Gretchen is that it's it's metaphorically speaking that you should this that we're not kidding about this right how how does that grab you i mean if it could grab you since you don't have any hands left <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's how we should be, true. I do. So, okay. Um, this is, so let's, let's hang with this for just a second, and don't lose that one, right? So I think uh, there's no evidence that we have that early Christians cut off hands for doing these things. So in that case, you do have to sort of wonder, what, is this being serious, or is this being metaphorical? I take it as metaphorical too, right? And I think that's, that's the way it sounds like. The other little bit is that there are all sorts of different places where Jesus, even in the beginning of Matthew, says re, uh, the, the word repent is a bad word. It's metanoia. It really means change your mind. Um, and one of the questions that I might ask is, where is the kingdom of heaven? If we're talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, um, where is that? Uh, because I think that then helps sort of define where the answer to the hands bit is and the hell bit at the end too. Because I think heaven is a place that you can actually live now. I don't think you have to die to get there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus talks about this quite a bit. So I think that's how I would take this, that bit. Okay, let's get back to the kids bit because I think this is the interesting thing. So say, can you say what you said again, Carol? And, um, incapable of subterfusion, right, incapable right. of that's subterfusion that's right. says the scientist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you mean that they aren't cunning? No. Oh, no, no. Incapable of being cunning. In, incapable of being cunning. Um, so Carol said that kids were innocent, uh, they ask honest questions. Um, uninhibited. uninhibited and what do you mean by that they don't understand where the walls are oh i love that yeah they don't they in some ways they don't have any boundaries right Uh, One of my favorite stories is I was doing a baptism at a friend's house. Uh, I'm sorry, I was having a party after a baptism at a friend's house, and I think the kid was maybe three, three or four, house full of guests, just had his sister baptized, and um, runs down the stairs, uh, cowboy hat and gun holster on, and that's it. And runs (laughs) through the whole house, shooting everyone, and then runs out into the middle of the street and takes off, right? Why not, right? I mean, although I often sort of paused and wondered too if this had something to do with the fact, and this is where I'd sort of like the subterfuge bit, like I'm not sure because I think he was jealous of his sister um, who all this attention had been lavished on. And even at three knew that if I just, you know, take off all my clothes and run down the street, somebody's going to pay attention to me. So I don't, right, definitely unbounded. Right? Unboundaried. Vulnerability. vulnerability. Yeah, I think that's a big one. And that would anybody who
1: is themselves
2: to you. You are Yeah, humility and vulnerability are two things that children have. Um, one of the stories that I thought of, I love John Mullaney. I don't know if any of you watched John Mulaney, but he was on, uh, he's a comedian. And I think comedians are some of the wisest uh, interpreters of human nature. Uh, They just see things. And um, he was on Colbert, and you should go watch this clip because it's stunning on a couple of different levels. The first is that Colbert asks him if one of the reasons that he's a comic and stands up in front of everybody um, is because he's, he's talking about his anxiety. And he says, do you have this huge need to be liked, right? And is that where some of your anxiety comes from? That's not good late-night television, because John Mulaney pauses like this was a serious question on a therapist's couch, right? Um, But what he goes on to say is, John, what's the name of the thing he's doing? The Lunch Bunch Kids? The Sack Lunch Kids. And um, he goes on to tell a story that he's hanging out with one of these little kids for a show, and uh, the kid comes up to him and starts talking about his life, and the kid who's, I don't know, elementary school, says uh, to John Mulaney... um, you know, if I get less than 90 on any of my tests, uh, my mom just has a fit. And John Mulaney says back to the kid, well, 90 is pretty good. I mean, why don't you just tell her to buzz off, right? I mean, this is a pretty good score. And the kid looks at him just deadpanned and says, I can't do that. I'd be toast. Uh, now, is the kid toast, really? I, I found that interesting for a couple of different things, right? Sort of in the cut off your hand, or you'd be thrown into fire. I mean, what is toast other than being burned? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty serious reference. Now, does the kid really think that he's toast if you were to do something like that? Probably not. It's in this loving context with a parent who obviously cares about this child. So that also, to me, sort of buffers that cutting off of the hand bit, right? If you look at it that way, it's in this relationship where it's serious but like, not kidding serious, but in this sort of loving relationship, but that kid also recognizes that they are not completely in control of their own life. The vulnerability and humility. Yeah. I focused on the first question of who's a story. to Well said. I think <laughs> Um, I, so one of the things that I think, I'm so glad you mentioned this, because the, the tricky part about biblical interpretation is context is everything, and so what's interesting to me is the disciples, we're chapter 18, Jesus is, the disciples have been following along with Jesus uh, for quite a while now, and what they've mostly seen him do is heal people uh, and take care of people, and that he argues with the people who are in places of power, That's pretty much what Jesus has been doing. And twice at this point, in fact, in 17, if we were just a little bit before this, I think it's 1722, uh, Jesus predicts that he is going to be betrayed, handed over, killed, and on the third day, rise again. Now, if you've just gotten done hearing that story, wouldn't you think it's sort of a strange question to turn and be like, all right, so who's the greatest again? I mean, only because the person that you're following just indicated that they were going to be handed over, betrayed, killed, and raised again. And they have no idea, what, I mean, at least, in, Matthew's a little nicer on the disciples than Mark is. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, the disciples look like idiots. Um, Matthew's a little nicer, but it's an, it is, a, I think it's a, stat, it's a status question. And I can't tell in Matthew, it's, there's no, we don't get any insight into what they're thinking, Um, one commentary says something along the lines of, well, they they heard Jesus say that he was going to be handed over, betrayed, and killed, and so they're worried about who's going to take over the movement after Jesus is gone. Well, I suppose. I mean, that to me seems like a generous reading. I think they're worried about who's the greatest. That's how I hear that. And that never happens to us, right? We don't really ever worry about who's the greatest. That never crosses our mind at all, ever, right? I mean, status, money, privilege, prestige, honor. None of those things ever cross your minds, I'm sure. Well, that that sets into context the thought I had was that Jesus sounded kind of frustrated. Yeah. He doesn't often talk about you're going to be thrown into a lake of fire. Right. This was like, you guys are not. Yeah, Jesus sounds frustrated is what Chris says, and that's why you get sort of this strong thing uh, about cutting off your hands. I think that certainly could be true. Um, They've also, you know, the other previous story to this is they've just gone up on the mountain where they watched Jesus being transfigured, and then Jesus immediately points them back down into the valley where all the suffering is, which is also interesting. So after that, Jesus might, he could be frustrated. Um, I think it's okay that Jesus is frustrated. I saw another hand.
1: To go back to your original question, what grabbed you here? Yeah. And the first sentence grabbed me. It's the hopeless inappropriateness of the question to
2: begin with. Hopeless inappropriateness of the question. Why? That's so good, Dick. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> because?
1: Well, that's not exactly the message they have been listening to for a long
2: time. Right. It isn't, is it? Um, but is it a message, even if it's a dumb question, that maybe is one that we should think about? Well, sure, (laughs) yeah. Um, One of the things that, anything else catch your attention in here? Yeah. Bring in all your, um, supposed knowledge and yeah. Um, some, in some ways, that's how I feel. Yeah, I like that little bit, like bringing all of your knowledge, right? I think in some ways that's. Uh, um, and I, something about the awe and the wonder of children. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a little hesitant always about sort of the innocence bit and the purity bit only because I've seen my three-year-old nephew, I've seen my nephew when he was two and a half just reach out and poke that little baby for no other reason just to see if he could make it cry, right? I don't know, innocent maybe, but only up to maybe, I don't know, as soon as they can look at the other, as soon as they have some indication that there's somebody else in the room who's getting more attention than they are, I don't know, and I don't know what age that is. Never. Okay, never. Sorry, was there another comment over here? One of the things very
1: were already getting down the wrong
0: path
2: because Yeah, oh, thank you for noticing that. Yeah. He uh, Norm says even the people that are closest to Jesus um, even at this point in the story are already going down the wrong path because the the word that caught my attention is change unless you change. Um, and the word is a Greek word, it's strepho, and it really means to turn, actually. Um, I was hoping that it would be metanoia, which is the word for re- that we often translate as uh, repentance, but that's really a very churchy way of um, interpreting the word. It's, it's really change your mind, um, is metanoia. But in this case, it's not, it's strepho, uh, which just means to turn. But the reason I like it is because to me, it implies some sense of growth uh, and some sense of that we're on a journey and that the disciples haven't figured it out yet, um, and if they even do. I mean, I think there's a good reason that we reread the story to remind us. Um, But it also, I think, implies that Jesus wouldn't say change if he didn't think that you could. I think if Jesus were to look at the disciples and say, you have to change and become like a child, and and he knew that you couldn't do that, That would be just cruel to say that. Lutherans, I think, we've had a particularly hard time thinking about spiritual practices and growing in our faith uh, because Luther just wants to remind us that you are baptized. And there's something beautiful about that because there's nothing you can do about it. It, in fact, puts you in the place of a humble child. But there's also a bit of Christianity that wants to think about practicing faith um, and something that you actually participate in Uh, And the careful language that I would want to say is, we can learn to practice our faith so that we can continue to grow in our experience of God's love for us. It's not an achievement, but it's practicing experiencing God's presence. Now, that's a subtle difference, but I think it's kind of important. Um, I'd love to talk more. I do want to end with one uh, quick little thing. Um, When Jesus pulls this child out, um, first century Rome is entirely baked with status. Your whole life is determined by your status. It is completely stratified. There are a few very wealthy people who control everyone else's lives, and then most people are serfs and farmers and peasants. And so status means absolutely everything. And the children are on the bottom of that pyramid, They're the absolute bottom. I think we have a little bit of a difference. I think in the United States, we actually glorify children and maybe even glorify youth a little bit in sort of a strange, mixed-up kind of way. So I'm not sure that the metaphor works entirely all the time. But it started to get me thinking about um, if Jesus were around today and we lived in the global environment in which we live, who would Jesus pick as the person in our world and in our culture who has the least amount of status? and how shocking it might be. And this is what I think. It would probably be a Muslim immigrant child in a refugee camp somewhere on the other side of the world. And I think the, the image is, is meant to be startling. Um, I, I think that is probably the person who has the least amount of power and status. And then you have to think, well, what does that mean exactly? And I don't have an answer for that. Um, I just think that that's who Jesus would turn to. Um, and uh, in a time and a place where the, the number of refugees in our world right now is the highest it's been since World War II, uh, and we as a country are letting in fewer refugees than we ever have before, um, that makes me uncomfortable. Um, the presiding bishop of the ELCA just released a statement uh, reminding us that after World War II, one in six refugees were Lutheran. Uh, and the United States was one of the most generous. And these days we, are, we have lost our status in the world as the most welcoming country. Uh, we're down not even in the top five, I don't think, anymore. So when Jesus talks about who is the most vulnerable in the world uh, and says you must become like that, uh, what does it mean when we collectively as a group of people have decided to take care of fewer of these? And then the other little bit in the story that I often missed is Jesus says this, whoever welcomes one such as these welcomes me. It's it's not just that Jesus is saying become like this, but whoever welcomes one like this uh, welcomes me. Uh, Because what I think is really interesting is that when Jesus is asked who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the obvious answer should be who. Him. And that's not where he points. He points to a refugee child. Amen.
0: Thanks for stopping by and listening to the Shepherd of the Hills Sermons podcast. For more information about Shepherd of the Hills, please check out sothchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Feel free to share this sermon and be sure to follow us on social media and wherever you find your podcast. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.
1: Thank mm-hmm. you.